Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Cinephile Hits of Fit Podcast, brought to you by the Ruminations Radio Network and sponsored by Film Obsessive. This is the tirade film movie debate hosted by two film critics, cool dads and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I am fucking baffled by what we watched today. I'm William Johnson. Yeah, yeah. And as you can tell, if this does oh, make God. it to video. Marcus. What? Oh, he's doing that? Oh, so for the folks, steel book. So for the folks who have the podcast version of this, you have no idea what we're oh godding about. Um, we have two special guests here today as a collaboration of podcasts to kind of cover um, a big Warner Brothers home release here. So um, for the folks on video, we have Mark Krawcheck of Special Mark Productions, and we have Ian Simmons of Kicking the Seat Podcast. Now, if you follow Will and I, uh, both of us have been able to go on uh, Ian's show a ton uh, as the as, as lower tier West Coast Avenger members of Earth's Mightiest Critics uh, to be able to kind of discuss different things. And Ian recently covered um, Superman 1 and Superman 2 as part of kind of Warner Brothers' little 4K box set. And we said, hey, let's get some collaboration going where we came on his show and then he's going to come over and do, come to our show. And of course... Because let's Ian's give him the shitty ones. Yeah, we got the <laughs> shitty too. With the younger podcast, 900 episodes and 1,000 likes over there. He gets the good stuff. We get... Three and four. So yeah, today, it, it, you know, and I just, I just skipped into the back door. So, oh no! But if you're not here, who, who's keeping us all Ooh, on, on just, tap here? I just realized we're in Mark's territory. I mean, you're in the Marvel. <laughs> we're in the, we're in the Marvel shill. We're in the Marvel shills like headquarters. But uh, like the computer at the end of Superman three, like you're zapping me with all kinds of DC <laughs> kryptonite, where I'm just sitting there going. Aah! So yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm excited. <laughs> this is this is gonna go well. Yeah. All right. Let's so go. um just to get the intros of uh, the how we're gonna do this out of the way, especially yep. for podcast or for video. Um we normally do this as a five minute thing where our guests go first. If you guys know our show, it's uh the lover kind of gets five and under, uninterrupted minutes to shower their praise and state their high minded case. Any haters can follow with their own uninterrupted minutes to present their counterpoints in any manner of intellectual scorched earth. After that, we'll open it up for about a half hour short discussion where we can kind of just have a good time with this. Our guests will go first. Now, who likes Superman three better between Mark? Do we have to, do we have to fight each other for this? Do we have to like, <laughs> Figure out who the we're dark not, Superman, the dark Clark is in this situation. Yeah. We're not in a junkyard, so I don't know how well that fight would work. You can go oh. first, Ian, by all means, please. Okay. okay. Can you keep your own timer, Ian, or am I over here? I mean, I'll hit the bell. I, you, I want I want to hear the bell. I love it when you press the bell because you're a teacher. I, okay, I gotcha, feel like I'm gotcha. yeah. I'm, I'm gonna school I'm gonna school y'all in some Superman three. All right. No. Uh, Fire away. So I guess my my time is all right. It's already started. I don't know if I can stretch this out to five minutes. We'll see. I am very verbose at times, but you know. All right, Superman three. This is a a film that I feel like it's hard to evaluate just on its own because I grew up watching this movie. It came out when I was like I think five years old. It's turning forty this year. It's crazy. Um, And I've watched it a couple of times uh, since I was an adult. I watched it uh, about a year and a half ago with my youngest, who is now getting into superhero movies. I thought it was, you know, kind of charming and fun and and better than I remembered. Watching it for this show, uh, it's especially because I've gone back and watched Superman's one and two and the Richard Donner cut, realizing that this is a another Richard Lester film, who is sort of the he's stuck with the the first you know three movies as, as a director. His sensibilities really stick out like a sore thumb. 
and kind of breaks open the idea of what comic book movies, what people thought of comic book movies. I think back in the late seventies and early eighties, it was sort of a, a nascent art form. Um, Unfortunately, I find him to be more in the Joel Schumacher camp of what comic book movies are supposed to be. Um, there are moments of ins- inspiration where I felt like I was reading an issue of action comics while watching this movie, um, particularly at the end with the giant supercomputer shooting out the kryptonite death ray and the, and the suffocation bubble and, and turning the sister into the android and all that business. That's great stuff. It's very pulp. It's very comics. And it's all, but it's also uh, presented very seriously. On the flip side, you've got this crazy opening uh, sequence with the uh, you know ignited peng- stuffed penguins walking, waddling through New York, uh, phone booths falling over, some kind of a, a, a self-aggrandizing homage to oh yes, I directed a hard day's night. Uh, you've got a scene with a traffic jam chaos where, and this is something straight out of I think Airplane Two, where the the walk and don't walk men on the stoplight actually animate and get into a fight with each other i don't know what the hell universe is supposed to take place in but it's not not definitely not the dc universe so i love the plot of superman 3 i'm iffy on the execution um this is definitely richard Pryor's movie i think it's also uh robert vaughn is i think a great villain because he doesn't camp it up he just plays kind of an out of touch billionaire who's got a weird relationship with his sister and his mistress. Uh, sometimes I think those roles get uh, a little blurred. <laughs> she, she calls him Bubba. What uh, the sister that is? Um, so yeah, but you know, Christopher Reeve. You get to see him stretch. Uh, he plays the the good old boy Superman and Clark Kent, but he also plays a dark version of Superman, which is a lot of fun to watch. Um, I really appreciated that uh, that dichotomy of the the good and the evil, the light and the dark. Um, yeah, it's it's a mixed bag. I really kind of love this movie. I don't believe in guilty pleasures, but I think this would be the closest I would get to a guilty pleasure Superman movie. Um, I like that it's different than the first two, but it feels really different. It doesn't feel like it's a third movie in a trilogy. We're just going to do the same thing over again. They really went in some crazy, wild directions. Um, also, Annette O'Toole, she's not playing Lois Lane. You know, that's, uh, that's Lana Lang. But yeah, she's oh, man. She's a she's a heartbreaker in this movie. Oh, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. Chef's Kiss. Can I can I yield the rest of my time? Of course you can. <laughs> well done, Ian. Mark, you're the other guest. Please go next. Uh, Superman three. What can you say about it? Ian uh, put it quite well. Uh, I it's not a film that I uh, dislike, but if you look at the body of these four, well, five films, it is on the lower tier. And it's not because of the fault of anybody in the film. I think everybody is very invested in this film and a lot of the performances are fun. I also think this has some very fun moments. The shocking for some people if you're watching these back to back is going to be the change in tone change in tone in this is far more comedic i mean we literally have featured some classic comedians in this opening kind of rube goldberg uh thing going on in two different scenes in the opening while we get some very bizarre credit sequence unlike i mean on one hand if you're looking for something different from the other two films this is going to be the film for you because it opens different it's got a different tone lois lane's only at the beginning and the end she's like godzilla in godzilla 2016 uh you know i mean she really 
you know, she's not the focus. Lana Lang is. You got a different Superman. You're Clark. You're right. Clark is kind of stretches his wing. Richard Pryor. I love Richard Pryor. The thing is, his personality is so strong and he has such a presence and he overpowers that Ian is correct. This is more of a Richard Pryor film that just happens to have these superhero people around him. What gets me with it is, and I guess what's kind of frustrating with me with this film while watching it is that there's like two or three really great movies that you could flesh out and do a great 90 minute film with that they cram together into one. Now, there are situations why. It is the way it is like that with the writing. They were going to do a Brainiac originally story like this. And if you read the comics, they did come out with Superman 78, which actually features a Christopher Reeve Superman. It features a uh, Lex Luthor uh, from the 78 going against a Brainiac from 78. Fantastic. Supposedly influenced by what the script was going to be for Superman 3. But the rights weren't owned of Brainiac, and so they ended up having, if I remember my history correctly, and I may be wrong, but I, I do remember reading about it somewhere. Uh, so that's the frustrating thing with me watching this, is that there's really great ideas, great concepts, great theory, you know, things explored that could have deserved their own movie, but being smashed together, it, it, it's, you know, it, it gets a little frustrating to watch, because you've got, on one hand, you've got the whole Smallville thing and Lana Lang and Clark not focused on Lois for once, which was refreshing in all honesty. Um, and then you've got the whole split Superman, good, bad in here as well, which, you know, is a little bit not jarring. It's interesting to see that exploration, but that could be a whole movie in itself. And they leave it to like, you know, one, he goes on one drunken bender, which, Hey, Wisconsin, uh, but he's not in Wisconsin, but you know, everybody'd be just like, Yeah, Superman, and they'd be buying him shots, you know. But <laughs> uh, you know, you've got that at him fighting his good self in the junkyard, a wonderful sequence that you could have really built up to it, right? Uh, you know, and Superman again, uh second film where Superman uh gets busy as well which is interesting to see it's you don't of course because it is still supposed to be a family film you don't see a lot of that but we had that with superman 2 with lois lane you know depending on which cut you got he gave up his powers were before or after he got intimate here we've got the implied with the mistress of uh robert vaughn's character uh you know and she i loved her characters and i love the character there's a lot of great elements I just feel that they tried to do too much. I forgot when I fired it up that it was a two-hour movie, and I'm like, this is two hours? I forgot. Yeah, two hours and for like four minutes. I'm like, I forgot that it was that long, and I'm just like, and then I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right, because you have so many bar, you know, threads in this film. The, the whole idea of the Vulcan satellite could have been its own movie and own villain, you know, there's a lot of great stuff in here, a lot of great ideas. It's just that we never stay on them long enough. So for me, it's like, I want to see more of that. And that's what frustrates me with this film. Uh, that and the fact that uh, the tone, this opening is just, I'm like, wow, what are you, what are you doing? Man? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm kind of middle of the road. on. I don't hate this film, uh, but at the same time, it's frustrating to see what it could have been. Yeah, it's my time. 
Well done. Will, I forgot how we're you first, me first. Who hates oh, it more? Who fucking cares? Uh, <laughs> you want me to go next? I, you got fire I'll, away. Go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, go. You got you got right, fire well, away. I, 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 did someone hand you a giant green rock or something, Will? Uh, like, <laughs> it was a here? synthetic one though, so right. Yeah, my five five percent tar. <laughs> well, I'm going to uh start out with a hot take though. Um I like this better than the Lester cut of Superman two. Um, so that's, that's a hot one there. Um, I think, I think, um, the reason why I don't, uh, other than, uh, you know, Terrence stamp acting like a vampy diva, which I enjoy very much. Uh, I think two is just, you know, obviously they had a lot of behind the scenes problems and, you know, that led to Lester trying to make a direct sequel with his sensibilities with footage Donner shot. And the first one is so majestic and big and, you know, it's just, Two is just not. I haven't seen the Donner cut, but I, you know, the the Lester cut is bad. I think it's just a bad movie. This one, at least, I will give it credit for. I know there's some tonal shifts, but I didn't think it was too bad. I, it's definitely a tonal shift from when you sit down and watch all these in a row. But what I do like is that they committed to something and they said, okay, we're going to make it a little slapstick and fun and comic booky and weird and bizarre and kind of schmaltzy and fun and. And they stuck to that, and I think that's they they went with it. I I, I think like uh, an example I can come up with, and, and I actually like four also is uh, like if if uh, my favorite action franchise is Lethal Weapon, right? Like if I was going off the two best films in Lethal Weapon, I'd go with the first two, right? Uh, but in terms of like the ones like I kind of enjoy watching the most is three and four, mainly because I like when you have that continuity and that kind of built-in universe. And I like what Ian said that like this, this does feel like I'm sitting down and kind of opening up a random action comics or a Superman comic. And I'm just kind of enjoying, you know, it's silly and weird and, but I'm just kind of enjoying it because it's like a comic book. So I got to give it credit for that too. So I'm not going to say that it's, um, you know, awful. Um, but it's also awful. <laughs> so I mean, it's just it's it's also not a great movie. So I guess it depends on how you're looking at it. It'd be a fine episode of a TV series, you know. Um, it, you know, just an enjoyable lark of an episodic kind of thing. Um, and uh, I do enjoy the evil Superman. I read some review on uh, Letterbox that somebody said like. Um, you know, you're the most powerful being in the world and you're evil. And the first thing you choose to do is just be a dick to the guys that <laughs> run the tower of Pisa, you know, like it's just kind of that playful, harmless, you know, like, yeah, he could be like that dude from the boys and just run around and just cause mayhem and destruction and rape and villainy. But he's just kind of like, ah, I'm a pesky little one. I'm going to straighten the tower of Pisa. That'll show him, you know, like it's just kind of playful and comic booky and PG and fun. Um, I don't like the fact that there's no Gene Hackman in this one. Uh, Robert Vaughn is fine, but he's no Gene Hackman. Um, and the, the other side characters, you know, you can kind of tell that they're trying to be like, uh, the least, my least favorite aspects of the first two films, which is Otis and Miss, what's her name? Miss Testmacher. 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 I don't like those. That was the only reason why I did not give the original five stars is because Ned Beatty alone is worth, I mean, I like Ned Beatty, but it's not in that movie. Um, but no, I, uh, I don't know. I feel like I, I can't talk about this fucking thing for five minutes. I mean, it's, 
Richard Pryor is terrible in this because I think somebody in the behind the scenes said that it's like he was just, it's like they just let him out to see and make this funny clown, you know, and it's like, he's just trying and there's nothing there for him to do. And, you know, there'll be entire subplots with him, you know, doing things. And you're like, am I watching a Superman movie? I I, I also kind of like that. Um, this is kind of what I didn't like about the Nolan Batman movies, but with this one, I like how it's just gritty New York. They're just calling it Metropolis. You know, that's the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, it's the, the the two towers. Whatever. We're all. It's basically just New York, but it's like you could tell like they're doing the littlest amount of possible to to make sure that it's not New York. It's like there's that scene in the beginning where Richard Pryor is at the uh, what the an employment office, and it's. Mm-hmm. It looks like a scene from Serpico or something, but it's, it just says <laughs> Metropolis over it. Like the lady's like, Metropolis takes unemployment very seriously. And it's just kind of silly and ridiculous. And I think it was also what filmed in like Calgary or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, whatever. I don't know. I mean, the only other thing I can say is that Alpone from, uh, or Apone from Aliens is in it. Yeah. The fire chief. Um, oh, mm-hmm. right. That yeah. sums it up. <laughs> I'm t- thinking about a better movie. Okay, <laughs> man. All right, I got to close this with five here. Um, no, I, I follow a ton with with. I think Marks took must have jumped into my brain, but um, no, <laughs> the um, the idea of multiple movies kind of squished into one place that that really matches kind of my feelings on it because um, you have a if it's just a Richard Pryor movie you're doing, you got kind of a fun little you know unemployment you know, fish out of water in the city, trying to scrap and do things. He does the salami, salami cutting, you know, corporate, you know, corporate thieving thing. And if you put that whole plot, you know, maybe give him a love interest, um, show his struggles in the city. And you, you kind of make a little bit more of, um, give a little bit more of his boss, which I guess is still the Gus, you know, the Gus character mm-hmm. here is Gus Gorman, right? Uh, yeah. No, no. Who's our Robert Vaughn character? Um, oh, um, Webster. Webster. Yeah. Webster. But like, if, if you just have a, a, a Gus versus Ross movie. And that just happens to be a Richard Pryor comedy in the city about computers and internet fears. And then you never go super villain. You're right. There's a Richard Pryor movie. That's 92 minutes right in this movie. But then, um, and then Mark's right again with the Superman part where if you just have a Lois on the sideline, Superman figuring out kind of his hometowny, you know, Smallville episode thing, and you run into some bad kryptonite, and you kind of have to kind of you know get talked down from your cliff, but you you know tap into your evil side for a little while, and you can kind of have some impetus somewhere that kind of nudges you in that direction of you know synthetic kryptonite. If that would have been Brainiac, that would have been amazing. It would have been difficult to do in the eighties, but like that is its own movie. And I and I think either one of those movies are are nice because um especially maybe this is today's optics a little bit where um we have so many movies in the comic book genre that really, really beg and strive to be just massively important. Like everything we do must be globally, internationally and galactically important that none of this, not nothing in this movie is galactically important anywhere. (laughs) Um, Like Richard Pryor is just a computer dork who figured out some things and he's now tied into screwing around with Superman. Superman going back to his hometown, just a nice, tidy little movie, not a, let we continuous raid sticks. This is an X-Men three. You know, mm-hmm. I keep thinking of like, you know, like the progression that you said, like if you watch these in a row, yeah, this is a, this is a swerve and a curveball, but it's a, albeit a, a, a welcomely simple one when you can just leave it right where it is a little bit, but um, where it doesn't need to be massive worldwide stakes. I, I, I think 
despite how this movie kind of execution wise is, is messy. This is also something that I have to tip my head at because most comic movies don't try to do this anymore. It's just tell a simple story or this has been reserved for television. This is a small episode. This is uh, mm-hmm. the entirety of Superman and Lois is going back to your old hometown um, and figuring that out and, and having little side adventures along the way. So uh, on that level, I, I I'm, I'm willing to praise it because it, it kept things silly stupid and simple where it's still kind of your it's, it's still your thor love and thunder let's throw some comedy in here for fun kind of thing and it hadn't figured out how to do it um i i'm with mark and with ian where this is this is richard Pryor's movie he, he's too, he, he's too big he's too much um i don't know who you cast that down to where you just can you turn down the lights on it a little bit i don't know who you put there other than just another skimpy comedian of some sort I, I, and not Richard Pryor. But um, but I guess for a Superman movie, that counts as a get in 1983. So it, it works and it plays in that way. But um, uh, yeah, it it's still just, as Mark said, it's still very overinflated where at 125 minutes, I'm, I, I'm checking my watch and wearing, oh, wait, there's still all this to go. Oh, wait, there's still all this to go. Because I, I had known this movie a lot from youth as well. But uh, um, before we even get to like our fourth episode where we or where we go to Superman 4, I think I said it on social media with, in your group, I'd rather watch 90 minutes of really retreaded junk in Superman 4 that's obviously less, obviously less production value, obviously just reduced, just cheap. I'd rather watch 90 minutes of cheap than 120 minutes of trying too hard because same thing. You get the luster of it. You know, the, the opening sequence, the very elaborate, um, the fire sequence at the factory. And like some of it is really, really good because Lester can do that for, for 1983. The guy has action jobs um, mm-hmm. that again, you kind of don't see the same way nowadays, or at least you didn't have a, comp- a comparison then. So yeah, there's there's enough to, of this movie to kind of put it on and and, and cheese it up. Uh, I, I I think I said I wouldn't show it to my kids because it's kind of so dumb, but it's probably dumb enough that they would just enjoy it. Um, where so yeah, it's um it's got its place. It's it's tough because you you know it's a decline. It's tough because you know this character probably somewhere deserves better, and it's gotten better since then in in a couple of places and ways where I'm at, I'm at peace with it. But I um. But yeah, it's it's a tough drop from Superman one and two. But uh, all right, those are all of our five minutes. Uh, please enjoy this quick announcement from our uh, non corporate partners and friends. You've seen Twin Peaks all the way through, but all you have are spoiler free discussions at Blue Rose Task Force podcast. No information is classified, and nothing beats the listening sensation when production history collides with deep theory. Put the coffee on. <laughs> All right, welcome back. Um, shared discussion, gentlemen. What's on your minds? Watching watching Superman three, and we watched Superman four a couple of years ago. I actually had a whole super month where I covered all of them. Um, we uh, or, or super films. It was super films. That's right. We just covered four, but in any case, uh, looking at this and watching Superman three, it's not as drastic as the first four Batman films. That's but in true. all honesty, if you look at the way they are, it's almost the same digression or progression, however you want to put yeah. it, of the <laughs> franchise. Where you had one and two in both Batman and Batman Returns and here's Superman and Superman 2, where they're both somewhat similar in themes. They're direct sequels for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, 
they they carry over. You can see them as one big movie if you want. And then you get to Batman Forever, which I just I found on the rewatch, I despise Batman Forever far more than Batman and Robin now, which Ooh, was not the same as it was my favorite Batman. <laughs> 20, 20 some years ago, it was yeah. different. I despise Batman and Robin. But why I got a different appreciation that was because I watched it from the 1966 version, the the film Batman the movie. All mm-hmm. five of those films, and if you look at where the bookend, they're great bookends. Batman and Robin and the 1966 yeah. The Batman movie are great bookends because they're the exact same type of film. So that I could make it, give it a little more forgiving. Batman Forever, Superman 3 reminds me in spirit of Batman Forever in that it's trying to do both. It's trying yeah. to be the fun comic booky movie, yet it's also supposed to explore these darker elements and it never mm-hmm. quite does does it both it, it, it like the cliff's notes of both those concepts for yeah. me mm. and it's still big like we're still and it's still like, big yeah had three shot in like pinewood studios in london where you, that that ending set in the caves and the computer room it's massive oh, yeah. they do the game thing for production value i like i said that factory fire like there's Big production pieces, and it, I know it's silly, but the whole opening vaudevillian street stuff is not cheap to do. So, no, yeah, it, it's still in Batman Forever is that where it's, we're going to go gaudy and we're going to stay big, but then we're still going to mix our stuff in here. And then you're right; by the time you get to Batman and Robin, they're like, "Whatever, guys, you know, <laughs> <We've lost laughs> it. you know, let's have fun." And and yeah, and Superman Four feels like that with that canon bag of money. So yeah, it's funny that you mentioned shooting it at the. I'm assuming the 007 stage in Pine it was. Uh, because this feels like this kind of feels like a bond, like a really bad bond movie <laughs> in a way like, <laughs> yeah. it looks and feels like there was a couple of times when I was watching just the way it looks, it looks like a kind of latter day Roger Moore bond movie. And I was kind of like, huh? Like, I, I don't know. I just something about it, the, the sensibility of it. And I, I'm assuming Lester is an English director. Yes. Uh, I believe so. I, I'll look I know it he up, keep going. a couple Beatles films. Uh, but yeah, I just, I kind of felt like, especially the lair at the end, but also just some of the set pieces, set design, stuff like that. It just kind of, even, um, even when uh, the beginning where, uh, and this is this kind of stuff I like in a film series where you have that kind of lived in feel like, you know, he's walking in the office and he's throwing his hat on the thing and his, on the jacket holder thing, whatever the hell you want to call it. It's like, hey, Lois, coat rack. Coat rack. You got it. Yeah. I like jacket um, holder thing better, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was good. Jacket thing. Uh, yes. Uh, but no, and, and you know, they, they kind of have that moment where they got to like usher Lois out, like, where are you going? I'm going to Barbados. You know, like, and they just kind of have that cue and bond moment, like where they're just, they're setting up everything. And I don't know. It just, it feels like a bond film to me. Uh, it just has that look and feel of it. And and I, I, that could be a good thing. Even the technology aspect is very bond. Like you, you kind of felt like uh, there was like an entire bond movie. I think it was for your eyes only or whatever, where it's like, we must get the computer, you know, like yeah. you have to, mm-hmm. we must get yeah. that one computer. Computers are the future. You know, remember tomorrow never dies was all about GPS. Remember GPS. Oh my God. GPS. So yeah, this kind of has that too, where it's just like the amazing world of computers. You can do so many amazing things in MS DOS, <laughs> which, <you know? laughs> which which don't get. I'm a tech guy in my day job. Don't get me. I've been doing it for 25 years. Don't get me started on the. This was written by someone who had no clue about technology because yeah. mm-hmm. 
we're talking during that time, there is no way he could just type in the plain English words that he typed in and the computer would go, oh, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> just it just can't? pass that bank account right over. Lickety split, buddy. Go ahead. Yeah, too easy. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's the thing. Like, the more I think about this movie and hear you guys talk about it, the more I appreciate it. Um, mm -hmm. I understand your points about this being several different movies. I would argue that none of these plots would sustain their own films because you're thinking about any of these subplots okay. stretching out for 90 minutes or two hours yeah, doesn't fair. work. Yeah. I think what this movie needs is, I'm going to say it, it needs a remake with the same elements and the same story ideas, but with a tighter sort of modern script writing sensibility that gets rid of the, the Lester cheesiness and just like tightens it up in a few places. I think it, I think it flows pretty well. Like Even are you from, saying? Are you saying that would be like today, a, a cyber thing, and then a go back to Smallville thing? Like, would you still put these two things, these two largest yeah. things, together? Yeah, because I think it, I think it works. Um, okay. Because, I think, okay. well, I was going to say the if you look at the story progression, it's all it's a very tight script in terms of A to B to you know Z mm -hmm. or whatever. You've got Clark starting off at the Daily Planet at the beginning. He's got this idea because he wants to, you know, report on his, his 15th year, you know, high school reunion that sends him back to Smallville with Jimmy Olsen as the photographer. They run into a big disaster at this, you know, chemical plant that he foils. There's the reunion. He reconnects with Lana Lang. She's a single mom. There's the Brad character. She decides at one point she wants to go to Metropolis. She goes to Metropolis with her son the exact moment that Superman's on that drunken bender. I mean, it all works and flows. And I think it even works and flows. Tonally, the film is all over the place. But I think these little tonal episodes are distinct within themselves, and they link up nicely with each other. They don't have the modern kind of Marvel thing where you'll have something really dire and dark happen, and someone will yeah. like break the tension with a quip. There's the yeah, funny parts true, yeah. and there's the serious parts. That junkyard mm -hmm. fight between Clark and Dark Superman is amazing. It uh, is. That's just part of the, yeah. that's part really of the movie. It is. That's part of that film. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and even the stuff with the supercomputer, you know, these are distinct vignettes. They are almost, it's mm -hmm. almost like a throwback to the, the serials, the 1940s. Like you would yeah. come back one week, you'd watch. You know, Super Clark Kent and Lana Lang hang, having a picnic, and then Superman has to show up to stop the combines from running over the kid in the mm -hmm. field. Although, I don't know how she saw her oil pan leak leaking. Uh, they were having a picnic in very tall grass, and the car yeah. was like 50 <laughs> feet away, and they weren't even facing like where the oil was dripping from. Also, I, I, I I'm just getting into nitpicks. I don't know anybody who picnics in tall grass like a like in the Serengeti of Africa. You During know, like, a fucking tornado too, or something. Exactly, There's like, something going on. He's like, hey, it's really nice out, and it's like storming out. Yeah. Like it's horrible. Way too windy for a picnic. Yeah, no game. No other other nitpick. Sorry, uh, and I will not forgive this uh, scene when Richard Pryor shows up and he's doing his patent routine, uh, and nobody in the no. town is like, what? Um, I mean, they, they're like, what? But <laughs> they don't do anything. Kansas, get the fuck out of here! You know, yeah. That, that was a bit, I, that was a bit hacky where he shows up. Yeah. He's like, he gets into town, he sees the, the store with like suits in it. It's like, suits? You know, oh, <laughs> this gosh. is a white people thing. I'm like, oh, God. But when he shows up and he hands <laughs> soup, 
he hands Superman that, but that's kind of the attitude. Like he doesn't come out and say it, yeah. but like there's that whole undertone, right? Yeah. It's right, not right. like blazing saddles where he's facing like overt discrimination. It's just implied. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. However, when he hands Superman the giant rock, <laughs> now you could argue that because it was 0.05% tar, maybe that masked the like debilitating qualities of the kryptonite. But you'd think that if you're Superman and probably within a year of the film continuity, you had had one of these giant green space rocks chained to your neck, he wouldn't just take it. You know, even if he was in front Mm -hmm. of people, he'd be like, get that thing away from me. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? Yeah. (laughs) Stand back, folks. He would totally yeah reassess that and knock that thing out. I thought actually they were, since I watched this for the first time, I actually thought he was going to take it and then he was going to say thank you. And then he was going to like have one of those things where, you know, he gets down the steps and he's like suddenly grabbing his heart or something. Cause it was, it was hurting him, but he didn't want to like make a big show of it in front of people. But no, that's just incompetence on the screen. Right? Well, they, they, they did. They showed that he did react to it strangely because he's kind of touching it and mm-hmm. he does get, you see a little bit of a, of a head, not like a faint, but he's like, what, what's going on yeah. here? So it does, it does take kind of hold gradually. And I did like the, the subtle, Maybe not so subtle, but the anti-smoking kind of message, like, yeah. oh, it's the ingredient in it's the cigarettes tar. is tar. I'm going to put this into this thing, and it's 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 cigarettes that are Superman's allergic oh. to, to cigarettes. Um, yeah. But yeah, even the uh, I, I when Superman goes dark, like it's not just that his costume becomes darker; it becomes dirty. His face becomes mm-hmm. dirty, and like he's got the five o'clock shadow. You yeah. just feel like he's been swimming around in oil. And then he goes to the t- then he goes to the tanker. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's. The other thing too is, and, and I understand it's it's superhero movie world, but damn, these people turn on a dime. It's like the it's like cool. literally the yeah. Superman literally rips a hole in an oil tanker. They see him getting drunk, being a dick to a kid. Yeah, and then the next thing you know, oh. He's back. He patches the hole in the oil tanker. Superman, you see the title on the on the yeah. on the you know the newspaper. Superman Super again. I'm like, it's been like <laughs> 18 hours. It's like it's like you, you know. I mean, and and that's where I'm with Ian. Where I think you could make this a tighter, better film in this uh, in, in 2023 because you could explore a little bit more of the fallout of his actions and him trying to earn it or if you want to bring it around instead of having the supercomputer off in the grand canyon or wherever the yeah i think it's grand canyon or wherever they put <laughs> yeah. it you know yeah. have them secretly be building this computer outside of smallville so now sure. You've got the connection of Superman goes back to Smallville for his report with his high school thing. Some strange things start happening around town. You can still bring Richard Pryor's character, Gus, in, you know, the the wheat, the which happens to be the same company that had the combines, by the way, in case right. you didn't notice. Mm-hmm. Uh you could have had that as the front and have like the secret layer full of computer underneath being built in, you know, Smallville, you know, out, just outside of Smallville. You could have tightened it up a little bit more and brought those to make them a little bit more congruent with each other, you you know, so they yeah. can relate a little bit. So even him showing up as the patent thing, oh, these guys have been here, you know, 
These guys have been here outside of Smallville for months, so this guy showing up wouldn't be that big of a deal with Smallville. I mean, I know they're a small town, but still, seriously, that guy just shows up and he just says he's from the Pentagon, and yeah. not one of these people went, really? Including Superman. <laughs> including including <laughs> Superman. Including <laughs> Superman, you know. Uh, and, and again, why I drew more parallels with Batman Forever in this is the sexuality in this. Let's not forget Lorelai. We see more cleavage in this than we've seen in the past two films. Her character. This test mocker shows quite a bit. Well, but not. It got very cold in that pool. I'll just say that. It did get very cold in the pool. But what what I'm saying is, even then, though, she was handled, her her character and the sexuality with her character was handled differently than in this one. I mean, she literally seduces dark superman at one point and he's like oh yeah i'm in on this you know and they fade to black and suddenly she's just gaga over superman because obviously he must be super in every aspect um boy you know (laughs) i i kept thinking about uh brody's speech at the end of mall rats yeah he's talking about (laughs) right uh, Essentially blowing out super uh, Lois Lane's back with his you know super swimmers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what I what I loved is that on the bit where she's the the initial part of the seduction, she somehow gets herself to the top of the Statue of Liberty. She's sitting on the mm-hmm. crown, waiting for Superman to come by, um, and she's at one point he says, "What did you have in mind?" Or she said it, or something. Yeah. If you look at the framing of the shot, it's her in close up. Yep. And then Superman kind of like walks into the frame and it's just his super junk right here. Yep. Next to his face. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, yep. it is. So Tell that's me you're where- for adults without telling me you're for adults. And yeah. again, that's where I was kind of drawing these sensibilities that you saw in Batman Forever, which literally Batman shows up in broad, don't get me started, but shows up in broad daylight at the steps talking to the commissioner. And you have Nicole Kidman's character going, <sighs> Oh yeah, like yeah, literally, like right. gi- give me your bat wings, Batman. Mm-hmm. You know, or uh, not? Kim- uh, yeah, the vamp is on. And so, uh, Batman you know, is a great, a great movie. So I will not. I'm listening <laughs> on my broadcast. So. You like what you like. So hey, I gotta defend Chase Meridian. It wasn't just that she was a woman who was in love with Batman because that's what the script called for. Mm-hmm. She actually had. She was psychologically drawn to. The Batman figure. Yes, she, I, she had her own issues. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, Dr. I get Christmas. That. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, she's okay. a nuclear physicist as well. Take yeah. that, Mark. What do you got? <laughs> what do I got? I yeah, what got. do you got for that, buddy? <laughs> yeah, she had issues, all right. So yeah. did the well, screenwriter and, and, for Batman Forever. But besides that, uh, but what you have in the difference between that film and this film is Lorelai. I like what they do with her character near the end of the film. They surprise you that she is not just the bubble masseuse of Vaughn. She gets a number of moments where she's just rattles off that she understands completely the computer. She understands what's going on. Her mm. character actually has these moments to where you learn she she's more than just 
They're for a fairy tits and a nice ass. Got it. That's an old sitcom. I don't know. Yeah. They used to do that on Cheers I, all the time. Every now and then, Coach would say something like, like the theory of yeah. relativity, and you're like, Coach, and like yeah. you know, like they're dealing cards. They're like, who's going to deliver this exposition? Ah, sure. Well, no, I, you get this I, one. Yeah. Ooh, well, another it, one. <laughs> it goes. It like, goes a bit beyond that. I mean, I I understand where both Mark and Will are coming from. There's the earlier on because it's not just at the end of the movie, but there's that bit where she's in. Webster's office, and she's reading Manuel Kant, and she has this, uh, you know, kind of talking to herself about uh, uh, about different theories of psychology. Um, and then she, I love that. I, I assume this was an accident that they kept in because when Webster and his sister walk in, she shoves the book underneath the pillow at her feet, but then yeah. she immediately knocks the pillow off, exposing <laughs> the book, and then it's yeah. like not even a thing. Um, yeah, yeah, she's she's a fun character. I did like. At the end, she did seem genuinely hurt mm-hmm. when, after Superman turns good, he shows up at the supercomputer and she's like, "You know, hey, honey," and he's like, "I don't, I don't know you, lady," and she's like, "But the other night," <laughs> yeah, and he's like, uh, no, "That wasn't me." <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, that's just here- pillow talk, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, but what I loved is that Superman, <laughs> in that moment, it's as if he almost had blacked out, like during that whole episode. Yeah. But he remembers what happened, and he feels bad, but he also realizes he has to take care of business. So he's like, that was another guy that wasn't me. Now I'm going to kick your boss's ass. There was no, like, (laughs) tenderness about it. There was a little bit of conflict, but, you know, he's like, I kind of feel bad, but you're also trying to destroy the world. (laughs) Well, you know, know, I think I get, though, too, if you look at uh, uh, Robert Vaughn's character in this, Ross Webster, I think that's where we definitely get the whole more bond villain vibe than comic book villain vibe because all of his actions pretty much in this film aren't so much super villain a vibe as in bond villain vibe because they're economically true you know you know what i mean i mean he, he he's not like He's not insane like Lex Luthor, like it, crazy smart, literally crazy and literally smart. You know, he's just a guy who's greedy, who I loved his little speech about how he doesn't like greed, you know, uh, but he it, just his whole demeanor and everything. I'm like, you would have made a great like 80s Bond villain. I could have seen. <laughs> well, th- th- I think there's there's a key difference here, and this is why I think he really stands out as a villain. And we don't really see this. I'm ready to be proven wrong, but I can't think of another villain quite like mm-hmm. him in other superhero movies. He is a wealthy, powerful businessman with an eye towards global domination, but he's interested in markets and products. In mm-hmm. you know, he wants to own mm-hmm. all the gas pumps. He wants to own all the coffee. Yeah. When it comes to actually pulling that off, he has to rely on a subordinate. He's not a Lex Luthor where he can plan all this stuff and, and pull all the levers. He's not mm-hmm. a computer genius. He doesn't understand computers, and that's sort of the running theme of this movie. So he does rely on uh, Gus Gorman and you know his sister and all this. So when he gets to the supercomputer at the end, he can basically play the video game and everything, but he's just mm-hmm. like an idiot kind of pressing buttons. It's the other people around him who are, you know, he's dependent on, and that's ultimately you know, his downfall. You know, when the supercomputer comes alive and he turns his sister into a cyborg, which somehow she survives that. Like, he gets sidelined pretty easily. He doesn't have the big grand villain monologue, monologue like, aha, I'll get you Superman for the last thing I do. He gets taken out by this laser. 
survives and everything, but he's unlike a lot of uh, mm. other villains. He's a very human, a very understandable, almost, dare I say, not even a comic book movie villain, comic book movie villain. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to I look at like, big, big franchises. I'm thinking of Bond and like just looking at the MCU, like, you know, sometimes, uh, I mean, the Ant-Man movies, the first two anyway, kind of had more street level, like, I just want to create my own company like Pym or like in terms of uh, uh, Yellow Jacket or there was just like a Walter Goggins played like a just kind of a mob, you know, guy that just wanted some technology. And that that's cool. The, the other one I think about a lot is uh, in one of my favorite Bond films, License to Kill. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, Robert Davi's villain in that is like way different than a lot of Bond villains because he's he kind of just like runs his own country you know, through the drug trade and he has like no interest in global domination or everything. He just kind of wants to just do his thing, you know, and yeah. control the drug trade. So it is refreshing. I, I do like, I do kind of appreciate that a little bit more. Cause yeah, it isn't, yes, he wants global domination, but like you said on a more of a business front, um, it, yeah. it also, yeah, it reminds me of uh, Elliot Carver and tomorrow never dies too. He's just like, Hey, I just want to own all the news stories, you know, like I don't necessarily yeah. want to, you know, run the planet. I just want to run the planet through its media. You know, it's, it is kind of refreshing. He's not interested in like, you know, enslaving the planet or anything (laughs) like that. He wants to keep everything running exactly what it, the way it is, because things running exactly the way they are is allows him to be, (laughs) you know, fabulously wealthy. Mm -hmm. You know, he might just want a a penthouse on top of his penthouse that has a taller ski slope right which that was the one bit of lesterness that i really did appreciate was when richard Pryor goes down that ski ramp and there's the great i still don't know how they accomplished this because i can't believe they would put a stuntman through this because it looked like someone was actually falling off a building uh and it didn't yeah, look like a dummy but when he lands on the street and then he like turns around and looks up that is the 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 great reaction of richard Pryor is we mm-hmm. don't see the shot of the the tall building from his perspective. We just see his reaction turning around and looking up like, oh my God, <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and you know, uh, Ross Webster, in all honesty, it's like they took a Batman villain and they put him in a super uh, Superman movie. Yeah, because I was trying to put Ross- my finger on what kind of villain this was, and this feels more Batman, Ross like Webster Batman and is- series kind of villain, you know? Yeah. Rob Ross Webster would be far more a Batman. I mean, you know, we'll put it perfectly street level type of villain because even though he's messing with stuff globally of sorts on the whole, he, he's still just, he's still just this guy that just wants the money. He, he only reason he uses the Vulcan for the weather thing isn't to destroy and, and exercise his power. He does that to wipe out the crops of the competitor guy. That's the, right. that's his only real motivate. It's he doesn't, right. I mean, if people get killed, oh, okay. He doesn't really care, you know, but for him, that's not his driving force. It's just the money. And this is, you know, this is just something that you could feel Batman definitely taking on, you know, Bruce Wayne would be at a cocktail party at a charity benefit with yeah. Russ Webster. Yeah. Um, right. And they would have like kind of a stare off, like, I know what you're mm-hmm. doing. Yeah. You know what I'm doing. You know, whatever. I found he would probably try and get, he would try and get Bruce to go in on his coffee scheme or something like that. Mm-hmm. I found the cheesy villain comp. Um, Jurassic World Dominion, when they're like using the locust to like 
warp oh, prices. Yeah. Like there something on that level of like, <laughs> we're just going to infiltrate this one thing to make money I for this one thing. I forgot that movie existed. Thanks so I know. I didn't want to bring it up, but like, hey, we're here. You oh, know. That's, yeah. that's, that's, <laughs> but no, you're right. This would be a Bruce you get Wayne. paid by Universal to put that in people's consciousness again, I Don? Because no, no, It's ironic because I wanted to be consumed by locusts after watching that movie. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, Dern, slow down. So take it, girl. Right. <laughs> right. You're better it's off. Different kind of show. Right. No, I, I do want to mention because um, Ross Webster is a different kind of villain. Richard Pryor is a different kind of almost villain in this movie. Mm-hmm. And what yeah. I loved is that, and I want to see more of these in modern comic book movies. I mean, they wouldn't because everything's about effect now. I know. What I thought was cool yeah. was, you know, uh, Gus is, you know, he's unemployed. He's kind of down on his luck. He sees this ad on a matchbox. For this, you know, computer school, which turns out to be run out of Webster, you know, Websco Industries, he realizes that he's a computer savant. And you know, I understand your point, Mark, about like typing in plain English and the computer doing whatever you want. But I feel like that's almost a representation of his. It's almost like his mutant power has been mm-hmm. dormant for the thirty-seven years he's been <laughs> walking around, and this is how it manifests. And he just becomes more and more engaged in computer technology to the point where he can literally scribble notes on the back of a pack of camel cigarettes and scrap paper and receipts and have people build the supercomputer that he doesn't even know what its capabilities are there's he doesn't become the villain of the piece because i mean if you look at we'll go back to uh to batman forever edward nigma right he is a scientist working for bruce wayne feels jilted builds the giant supercomputer that sucks everybody's you know brains and everything out this is sort of like that if yeah. Edward Nigma was never fully manifested as a bad guy, because Gus Gorman has a great arc throughout this film, toward, he's kind of redeemed at the end, and Superman lets him go because he sees the error of his ways and helps to save the planet in a small. Oh, right, he, like, there's a um, Nigma. I get well, it. <laughs> no, but, oh, but no, I, I don't wow. want to play thesaurus, but like, um, but you're right. Oh, There's mind. a difference between like an adversary and a villain. Like a villain, mm-hmm. we're waiting for like nefarious, downright kill puppies, evil, versus mm-hmm. an adversary who's just like this is this guy and what he's doing is in the way of the common public good, and we need well, to do something about it. And there's yeah. ways that you can turn an adversary around versus a villain who's just through its core evil. And Gus isn't that at all. You're right. Modern day superhero, what would probably happen, modern day superhero film, what would probably happen with Richard Pryor's character is, yeah, he would have that development. Uh, I know exactly who he is. The computer savant. But like the next step, instead of having the Webster, they would probably have him be like, now I can be a computer. And then that, you know, and then, yeah, suddenly he would just be like, part of the computers and like, you know, he's causing havoc all across. Though with the sense Mm -hmm. of humor, this movie, like, I don't think he would cause like evil havoc. He'd just be like, Ooh, there's two green lights at once, you know, like yeah. stuff like that. It would just be, you know, he would become uh, Arnim Zola from the Captain America movies. Where he become the, he's he's exactly. become the giant supercomputer. But, but exactly. even with, even if you look at Gus, that's another guy who feels more at home, who would have felt more at home with a Batman film because you, a uh, Batman comic or Batman, because you've gotten yeah. Batman characters like that as well, who are, borderline like that they they do stuff but they're doing the petty stuff but they're not like 
completely evil. They're just doing these things, but they'd have that arc. We've seen that in some of the animated cartoons, Batman anime, where you get a guy mm -hmm. who was doing bad things, but he's not really genuinely a not, bad not evil person, right. not evil. Yeah. And, you know, Batman, Superman, whoever the superhero is, would see that, like Ian said, and give him another chance because yeah. he's like, well, this guy just kind of strayed. But he didn't like stray into I'm going to go get my lightsaber and walk into and kill all the, uh, you know, the little babies learning Jedi powers. No, he did go that far. With what, it, film you know, he, that, what film was that? Instead, was that in a Star Wars movie? I don't, I'm not aware. <laughs> yeah. of you know, that. It, it, instead, he takes he takes a scheme that would have been borrowed later by Office Space. So, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> While we're on prior, like he'd probably make a great if you kind of stayed this tone and let him let him loose. Uh, Mixaplex, you know, he'd be mm -hmm. like, just let him be. A, uh, I hate to say black Mixaplex, but let it be a diverse casting of a superhero villain. Like, yeah, it'd be fun. I think I th he could. I, well, he, I, th I think he could do anything as long as he was directed and reined in. Because as we see towards the better, end better of this movie, call the coke dealer on that one. Good luck. Well, well uh, <laughs> we know how that turns towards, towards the end of the film, when yeah. he's uh, making that decision about like, hey, I'm not with these guys, and then he, you know, goes to to get the screw out, and he, you know, there's a little bit of comedy there, mm -hmm. but you can see he's really kind of conflicted and he's scared because like his computer's turning against him, and the bad guys are angry at him, and Superman's angry at him, mm -hmm. you know. It's really good, and it's not completely silly. I just, I would love, to, and you know, even if they be, you know, during parts of his origin, during some of the conflict he has with uh, Webster about, like, hey, I want, I want my cut. You know, he, mm -hmm. he really kind of outsmarts him, like, I'm more valuable to you out here than I am locked up in jail. There's some really good stuff there. Mm -hmm. Now, if Richard True. Lester just said, I want more of that and less of this mainstream Richard Pryor, then yeah. I think well, we've been had a whole different film. Well, if you look at the behind the scenes on that Blu-ray disc that you've got there that we've we've taken a look at, the uh, uh, the 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 third one, the third the first three films have wonderful behind the scenes shot on film. They did some kind of documentary for some special somewhere. Uh and they're rated by Apone from Aliens, by the way. Sorry. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, wonderfully, by the way. Uh, the first two weren't, but this third one and, and uh, they show a little bit and they talk about getting prior and how they kind of let him go. And it, and Reeves talks about how he worked with him and it, you know, they Reeves doesn't say too much. It's interesting to watch in those behind the scenes, Reeves opinion of Superman and, and the role. I didn't realize by the third film, he's literally behind the camera asking the camera guys, how do you shoot this? How do you do this? Yeah. Apparently during, during the entire shooting of the first three films, he was constantly asking behind the scenes technical questions because he wanted to learn, which is awesome. But at the same time, you look at how he kind of with the character by the third one, you can tell he's like, well, he's, he's done. He's like, well, I, don't know, I don't know about that. That's actually what I wanted to do before we finalize. Cause we're getting close to an hour. So we have to find okay. out. I did want to mention Reeve. I want to give him props, especially in this one and the fourth one. I agree with you. Like you can kind of see it in his eyes a little bit, but he's such a pro. I mean, Legit. I think, yeah. I think the, yeah. the most consistent thing about all four of these movies, the, the reason why they're all watchable, whether you like them or not, is because of him. He just, oh yeah, he knows how to nail Clark Kent. He knows how to nail Superman. Yeah, he might be sleepwalking in it a little bit because he was disappointed in the product, but. 
he's so watchable and so fun yeah, in all of sure his movies. Is. And especially this one with the, when he's fighting himself, I always say the true Testament of a great actor is when they're playing multiple roles and you can feel the difference. You feel like there's mm-hmm. two separate actors. And yeah, I felt that like, in that, yeah, I felt like in this fight, I felt like I was watching, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Christopher Reeve playing Clark Kent and Christopher Reeve playing an evil Superman fighting each other. I didn't think it was, oh, there's Christopher Reeve doing a dual role. It, it felt like a true acting performance, and I really enjoyed that. So yeah, I I I thought he was. I I got the feeling he was invested like throughout the film. I didn't get the feeling he was phoning it in. Um, mm-hmm. And that that junkyard scene, which we kind of touched on, when Clark gets crushed in that trash compactor. Uh, you know, it, it's it's something out of a horror movie. I remember yeah. being mildly traumatized watching that on HBO I when I was it. like six. I'm like, Same. what the hell is going on here? Um, and then the 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 gleefully dark Superman kind of like when he's like, come on, come on, come on, like he's like yelling at him and taunting him and just like he's so fed up with the fact that there's any goodness in him that uh, yeah, it's it's brutal. It's Reeves has the old school approach, and that's what I was trying to get at with the behind the scenes stuff, too, though, is he has the old school approach of he's all in. He's there for a job. He's going to do his best regardless of what he's being given. You'll definitely yeah. see that. Oh, yeah. In, in four, four, but with Hackman, but, that, Hackman. <laughs> but, but that's that old school actor look, like the Vincent Price and the Peter Cushing's. Yeah, I'm I'm going against this creature that attaches itself to the spine and that it you know people scream or what you know it's just this weird puppet thing but he's all in he sells it he's that character that's what reeve does and you're right that's what makes these films still rewatchable is christopher reeve yeah you have cooking shakespeare every chance he can oh yeah Yeah. (laughs) he wants to do shakespeare he doesn't want to do this no but he's like Uh, while i'm here you're gonna get this, and we'll and we'll talk about that in four when we do four because there was actually some behind the scenes. You give me one, I'll give you one on that. Mm-hmm. But because we're running out of time, real quick, gentlemen, tell us where we can find you on the inter on the computer. Well, tell us where we can <laughs> find you. Give us some socials, websites, whatever. Just just pimp yourself. Well, uh, I'm Ian Simmons. You can find me at kickseat.com. I run Kicking the Seat. You can also find me most of these days on YouTube. If you look up Kicking the Seat, I'm on Twitter at kickseat. And uh, yeah, that's my spiel. Yeah, my quick spiel is specialmarkproductions.com for all your movie man needs. You go there and you'll find links to all the stuff that I do, the podcast, the spoiler room, which uh, Ian is a regular on, my Patreon, which uh, these fine gentlemen uh will and donna both have uh, had a chance to be on my patreon episodes as well but you can find links to all that at specialmarkproductions.com go from there to all the socials and things we got i i occasionally make content so (laughs) you should find the episode you should find the episode with me mark and ian where we talked about uh snowpiercer and I completely forgot to rewatch the movie and I forgot what happened in the movie. And I was pretending the entire time that I knew what I was talking about. I was like, yeah, that's right. That's right. Ian, good point. Good point. The, thing with the, the thing with the thingy and the thing. Right. Good, good, good. Good job. <laughs> you uh, sold yeah, it so, well. You sold it so, well. So straight. find that episode. Cause I was like halfway through, I was like, oh shit, I don't know what I'm talking about. You just made that big, uh, and that people big paid for that content. Like, so. walking Juilliard actor. And you're like, he's a pro. And then Will does, yeah, but I'm not. You know, <laughs> I am not a pro at all. I am a waste of, yeah, don't worry about it. Anyways, oh. I want you to follow on that note. I want you to follow us on Twitter at cinephile fit on Facebook at cinephile hissy fit podcast and on Instagram at cinephile fits. 
I want you to find both of us by name on Letterboxd. And when I say both of us, I mean me and Don, to check out our film reviews and ratings. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes. We are members of the Independent Film Critics of America. Thank you so much for your loyal listenership in our tussles and for ke- connecting with us on social media. Do I have to do the um, Micro Machines guy here? Okay, hold on. Cinephiles of It is a Ruminations Radio Network podcast sponsored by Film Obsessive and 25 YL Media. If you enjoyed the show, the Ruminations Radio Network has more excellent programming with stellar hosts and spirits of topics. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our show and others on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Decepticons, Decepticons, Decepticons. You got it. See? No problem. That was Don a, Machine that, will be proud. That was for Mark. That was a Transformers the movie reference. It was. It was absolutely. Decepticons, Decepticons, Decepticons.